Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the No Fluff Actionable Marketing Podcast for marketers, marketing consultants, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you'll learn how to stop following the status quo and take some fucking risk so you can live your life the way you want to live it. My guest today is the CEO of the Organic Growth Marketing uh, Company, which drives organic growth at leading tech companies like Intercom or Profitwell. Um, at companies like BigCommerce, they've driven 15x growth. At companies like Unsplash, they've driven millions of new visitors coming from search engines. And what's interesting about my guest story today is that two years ago, uh, he left his SEO job at BigCommerce, moved to Thailand a month after, and ran and is still running a successful five-person remote consulting company. So I'm super happy to have you on board, Nigel Stevens. Welcome. Thank you very much. That's a hell of an intro to live up to. Yeah, I had to. Uh, I had to do this, you know. So why do you feel and uh, do people feel the need to follow uh, the status quo in the first place, uh, especially in the marketing space? Yeah, so from my own experience and speaking to a lot of other people, I think that imposter syndrome plays a pretty big role. You know, you enter a company, people are throwing around all these acronyms. They're talking about funnels and optimization, ARPU. Every company has their own set of acronyms that they just use and assume that the whole rest of the world is going to know. And you walk into this world and it's very easy to feel like, what am I doing? And then when you apply that even to the sort of job and career level, you think, okay, I can barely keep up in this job I barely know what I'm doing. How could I even take it to the next level and, for example, be a consultant or something like that? So I think a lot of it is a combination of basic fear and imposter syndrome. And I say these from experience, having felt them all deeply over the years. And you said you talked to a lot of people. So what are the type of people you talked to where you, and how did you realize that that was quite common? Uh, I, I found it, it's the type of thing that on the surface, it, it's like the kind of the paradox of in, Imposter syndrome is nobody really acknowledges it and everybody keeps using these acronyms and sayings. And then every once in a while you have a candid conversation with someone and they're like, oh no, I don't know what the hell they're talking about either. Or a big thing is when I talk to really successful people and I think that they have this magic blueprint that I don't have. And then they say something like, oh, well, I just tried this thing and it worked. Half the time it was on accident. And then they figured out something about the way the world works or marketing works and they stumbled on something and then they just do it again. So it kind of lifted the veil on there's not this secret manual that everybody's read except for me, which is how I felt when I first entered the workforce. And when you say you, you talk to pretty successful people, you don't have to mention their name because uh, it's not really the most interesting part. But like, what are, what are, what, what are their positions? What are what company have they, are they working with, like, or for, like, what's the, what's the status or profile of such people? Gotcha. That's everybody from sort of when I was first starting out, director level people at my own company and companies I'd worked with, um, and even talking to CEOs. Like, I've interviewed CEOs as part of engagements with certain companies, and a lot of the time you find that companies are born from some ridiculous hypothesis that accidentally spawns a learning that you then build the company from. So everyone from SaaS founders to VPs of marketing to director level, and even the original managers I had who kind of tried to help me feel at ease. 
So t- t- give me an example of a company that started with an accident and like you, you sprung my curiosity there. Okay, so I know I did some work with Atrium and they're a combination of legal services and building legal software. And their founder, Justin Kahn, pretty well known in the marketing space, he started Twitch turned into this live streaming platform for video games. It started as Justin strapping a camera to his head and hanging out with his friends. And then they figured out that people don't actually want to watch that. But one of the weird use cases of the platform was people were streaming video games. And then they focused on that niche. And $978 billion later, it was acquired by Amazon. So you can play in your head about the perfect scenario and the perfect idea, the perfect problem to solve perfect solution. But like this example is a typical example of until you get on with it and fucking publish something or build something or ship something. And until you see actual people using it, you can't just, you can't just invent that. It's just every good idea. I think there's this theory. I don't remember who said that. I need to remember it now, but this theory that basically every crazy sounding fucking ideas, um, that apply to only the, the very, very side of the, of the, the population, you know, the, the ages of the population is usually the, are usually the best ideas that turn into like a, a massive, you know, cultural change, right? So sweet, like Twitch and, and video game streaming, like what type of nerd started to fucking stream their video games, <laughs> you know, a few years ago. Only, only a, a few, a few, and whatever nerds would watch them. But then it started to fucking just catch on, right? Crossing the chasm and then moving on to the to the popular culture. So, but going back to the, the core subject, right? So all of that, it sounds like this is something you 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 like to remind yourself of every day when you get shit done, and you remember those conversations. You remember that they don't have a fucking blueprint. They just they just get on with it, try a new thing. And, and and they just learn as they go, right? So before we go into a step-by-step or sort of an actionable way for, for folks to do the same than what you've been doing, and perhaps we can go through through your story as well, tell me more about, again, why like other issues that arise if if you if you have this imposter syndrome in you or if you feel like you have to follow the status quo, what are the other consequences of, of doing this? Um, I think it's one thing is you think linearly, like if you only based, if you only work on what you know, you say, okay, I'm in this job right now. And then here, and then you read what other people have done. You say, okay, like, I'm going to build this checklist for the way I do my job. And then from there, it's like, okay, if I'm a SEO specialist, I can become an SEO manager and then I can become an SEO senior manager. And then, oh my God, maybe will someone will hire me as a director of SEO like when you just work within the constraints of what you know, you really limit yourself. And I know from my own experience, like you had mentioned in the intro, I kind of blew it all up and to even connect it to startups or something like that. I didn't have the intention of building a five person, six figure monthly MRR agency. It just, it happened because I was totally willing to accept that I didn't know what I wanted and I just knew that I wanted to do something different and sort of embracing the ambiguity is what turned into my own jumping off point. Right. So I think at this stage, folks listening to this right now are eager to know more about how the fuck did you do this and how the fuck did you <laughs> manage to, to leave that and, and found the courage to do it? Cause it's definitely not a status quo type of thinking, right? You, you didn't, 
you never really had a, a VP of SEO, VP of marketing type of role. Um, it's, it's not as if you had a massive, massive network of thousands of people who could, who are willing to and eager to, to hire you. You had a few very interesting contacts, but it doesn't mean that, you know, in a lot of people in your situation would have done the same, right? So there's an interesting point here, right? That I need to say, and I know uh, some people have emailed me before when we talk to guests in this situation, you know, something called the survivorship bias, as you know. Uh, which is basically, you know, a lotto winner or lottery winner would say, you know, oh, this is how I got rich. If you do the same, just buy a ticket from the fucking, from the fucking whatever and, and, and you get rich as well. So people might think the same. Okay. He's on a very particular situation, very particular experience and context. Maybe in the same situation, I wouldn't have been able to do the same. So let's try to distill down the things you've learned, the mistakes you've made into some set of principles people can follow where they can, you know, fight the status quo and, and fucking take some risk and, and, and living the life they really want to, shall we? Yeah. And I think that's a very important point because for example, if I were giving, I'm a single guy. And if I were giving advice to somebody with a wife and four kids right off the bat, that's going to be a red flag for them because the same constraints that apply to their life, don't apply to mine. Now, I think that what that ends up being is how risk averse you want to be, like how much chance you can take, and then how you can plan for that. So I think that's a big part of it. But um, going back to my own situation, it was just, I was working a job, and it was at a great company and a great role, but I there was something missing, and I didn't know what it was. And part of the problem was I was also getting slightly disillusioned with marketing as a whole. Like even just with, it was sort of my imposter syndrome taking hold and the acronyms and everything else. And there were all these parts of the company that I didn't have as much access to that I felt deep down I was qualified and able and skilled to be able to contribute in. But it was sort of, you know, the way companies work, there's just sort of either different segments or everybody has their role. And that was one sort of limitation I imposed on myself. But like, you know what, if I, I have this cushy job, I get catered lunch every day. If I feel that there's room to improve from here, it means that I really should try it. So it was really simple. I'd been to Thailand before and I thought it was cool. And it was more about the symbolic taking a leap and breaking free and then allowing myself to think outside the box, both in terms of my everyday life, my professional life and everything. So I the, the other interesting wrinkle here is I also brought my cat with me. I, which was no simple feat, but packed up my cat, got his carry on bag, landed in Thailand. I had one gig and then I got referred to another one. And this was one of the things I really learned is how people often underestimate their ability. For, for example, it becomes a consultant. They, they think within what they know. So they say, well, here's who might hire me right now. Therefore, that's the world of possibilities when really what I hadn't been considering was I knew a few people who had great networks and if they had somebody to refer to who they trusted, then they would. And that's exactly what happened. And actually about two weeks before I left, I reached out out of the blue to a friend of a friend. I just had this weird gut instinct. Like, oh, I should talk to him. I'm about to drop off the earth and go to Thailand and be a hippie. I should probably take advantage of the fact that I'm in San Francisco. So i had lunch with this guy and he said, Oh, by the way, I'm talking to this one company. 
they want help with SEO. I don't really have time to do it, but do you want to split it with me? And I was like, sure. And it was for now way less money than I would accept anything for. But I was so stoked at the time. I was like, this is great. And then started doing that and did really, really well. And with that, that was very empowering for me because it helped me break through the imposter syndrome. Because going into that, part of me thought, well, I'm not really qualified. I don't have what it takes to do this. Job A doesn't translate to consulting job B. But I killed it and 3x their traffic in a matter of six months, enabled them to raise around. And then it was that one proof point of confidence to say, oh, I do know what it takes to get here. And I had it all along, but I had to put myself in a position to be exposed to doing it, to know that. And if I hadn't left my job, that wouldn't have happened. Okay, so let me break down what you said there, which is super interesting, because I think there's a few things we can already talk about. But first... You have this interesting thing that you said about the company you were in was typical like Silicon Valley company. So you had free lunch catered for every, every lunch. You had probably like very cushy, uh, poofs on the ground. Like you can sit and relax. You have maybe free massage every fucking Thursday. You had pizza every Friday. Once a month. Take Once it a easy. month. Sorry. Excuse me. I don't want to find you. Um, you had pizza every Friday, uh, you know, like this kind of like techie kind of shit. And there's probably way a lot of other perks. But yet you said there's something missing. You didn't exactly know why. Now, I uh, what? But I, I know it's difficult an- a question to answer. But now with hindsight, what was the feeling? What was the, can you describe the emotional feeling, the, the, the pain perhaps that your brain was suffering from when you say like there was something missing? Like how did it look like in your day to day? So others can remember or maybe realize that they, they are feeling the same right now. Maybe two big parts. One is that I felt like I wasn't having the maximal impact in my job that I could not. And I did really well there. I think I, by all objective measures, I crushed it, but I still felt like there was certain, like even looking at different aspects of the company that there was things I couldn't influence that in hindsight, I think it's part of the employability thing where I don't know if I'm, I'm probably not the, the cutout to be the best employee. Like in that situation I was, but I, where I derive my fulfillment from comes from having sort of more control over being able to do stuff. And to contrast that with now, for example, if I'm brought in to sort of help spearhead organic growth, looking at SEO and content marketing, people are working with me because they want my input and they want me to drive stuff. And I'm in the position to turn down opportunities where I don't think I'm put in a position to succeed. So that's one thing. And the other thing is the entrepreneurial aspect. Like I'd hear different departments like maybe product marketing, sales enablement, sales. I think, oh, those things sound cool, but I haven't done them. I'd get imposter syndrome loop going over and over again. And then now that I'm essentially a free agent and selling myself and my team, I get to think about that. Like, how can I position myself? How, what are things I can do with my website? How can I make sure that I deliver the message of what I do to people and then convince them of it and negotiate contracts that make sense for everybody. These are things that I was in zero negative 10 ways qualified to do, but I knew that I had an interest and I thought ability in it. And then when I put myself in a position to do it, I was able to fulfill that 
but I didn't realize that's what I was missing until I got it, if that makes sense. Right. And describe to me a bit more the, the emotional side of things. Like you were going to work where you energized, but what you were doing, where you not so energized, did you, did you count the hours Were you eager to leave and do something else? Like what was the, uh, towards the end, potentially even like, what was the emotional aspect of this? Gotcha. Yeah. Good question. So one of the dangerous things I think is when it's very easy to get stuck in the things are good where I wasn't going to work every day, super miserable. Like I got really energized by ways I was able to get wins. I had a really fantastic team where I was able to have some liberty within what I was doing to go in, have an impact, get feedback on the work I was doing was awesome. But there was this feeling every once in a while, it would be like a, like a, Thursday afternoon, I think like, I don't want to be here right now. Like I don't physically want to be in this building. I want to go do something else for a little bit. But if I go take an hour and a half walk, even though I know that will improve my productivity, I'm going to fail the optics test. And to clarify, I wasn't in, I was in a really cushy situation where I could more or less operate as I wanted or whatever, but it's still a job at the end of the day. And so I think it's that feeling where you want freedom and autonomy over your sort of even hourly life that those are the moments when I'd be like, man, like this afternoon, I don't want to be here. I want to go play basketball. And then whatever, if I get something done, I'll get it done tonight or I'll come in early tomorrow or whatever. But you don't always have the luxury to do that. So for people out there, I'd say if you feel that freedom and autonomy to work on your own pace and that you're not getting fulfilled by the full potential impact and you're seeing what other people are doing and it's something that could be fulfilled in an entrepreneurial role but can't in your job those are maybe things to work for and then you said something about um so moving on taking control of your life in a bit like basically just taking a risk and say fuck it uh leaving uh and you talked about how you already had a gig going on. So I think these two things are important to say here. You just didn't leave without the security of a, of at least having one consulting gig going on. And two, from what you're saying, you also didn't leave in bad terms with your previous employer and you had proof that what you had done there worked, right? So you didn't just did a shitty job, expect to launch a consulting business, had no clients, right? You had, you had some solid social proof there to to build up on right yeah there's two things there that i think are really important one is the social proof side and i think a lot of people maybe underestimate they think well i've killed it in this job but i'm not qualified to be a consultant or work with other companies because i don't know you just think like i'm qualified to do this at a job and that's one part of it that i think is really important is when i left my job as you said i had a story to tell which is We were here, things were flat, and then I was able to do work, collaborate with teams, and we got something insane. Like for our content, we got 8x growth in about a year. It was a lot. And that's a story right there that both I could tell to other people and other people could tell on my behalf. And then there's the security aspect. So actually, it's kind of funny you mentioned that because when I left with sort of one gig lined up, there was a part of me that was really upset at myself for that because I kind of wanted to fulfill this stoic, uh, I guess, vision of, oh, I'm going to go there with literally nothing lined up <laughs> and figure out what I want to do. And there's, that's the only way to do it. And then 
obviously it sounds ridiculous to be complaining about that. Like, Oh, I had, I had work lined up when I left my job. It was a great position to be in, but the thing is I didn't really need that and I'll never know how things would have turned out, but because I had the piping, which was I could do a certain type of work really well. I had a story to tell and I had people to advocate for me to tell that story, whether it's them being referrals or if I'm talking to someone and they say, uh, like, you don't even have a website. Who are you? Who can I talk to to vouch for you? And it's somebody who would, who could hop on a referral call for me. So all of those things. So right here, I think we're talking about one of the key core fundamentals of of business, of life, of of human interactions, which is the just having a fucking network of people who trust you uh, and having a story to tell so others can remember it. I mean, you're talking about, you're touching on very, very key fundamentals of of human psychology just there and psychology in general. Um, So breaking that down and transposing that to someone listening to this right now who's really eager to jump as well because he feels or she feels the same thing that you were feeling at your job. How do you make sure that, you know, you're not making the same mistake, that you are fighting imposter syndrome, that you're fighting the status quo? How would you advise people to to then get started, right? To actually do what you've done? Yeah. So identify the people in your network who other people go to for advice or direction. A lot of the times, and there's a, this can take a couple of forms. One good friend of mine I have who's allowed, who's been a, who's played a key role in me jumpstarting my own career as building uh, organic growth marketing. He's the CEO of a startup and he's well known for SEO. So he doesn't, he, he doesn't have, any skin in the game, but people go to him and he's a trustworthy person. Now that might not be who you think of, but who do you know in your network that either fulfills that role or is, or is that person or knows somebody in that role? So another thing is just having a good relationship with your boss because you never know where they're going to go and you never know who's going to talk to them. And odds are your boss has a better network than you just strictly based on the fact that maybe they've been around longer or they're, they're in a more senior position, or it's part of their job to talk to somebody. And there's also a way, I, I'm going to anticipate a question of getting imposter syndrome about networking. And the really ironic thing is I've done so much more networking from my computer in Thailand and the Caribbean and Europe and Australia traveling around than I did when I was in San Francisco. But I just got one or two key relationships down. And I really believe that it comes down to the fundamental of you can do a job well and you have a story to tell and you have anybody with credibility who can speak to that story and is also someone who talks to other people and will be a natural referral source. That's what you need to get started. And in terms of your story, people probably really underestimate their own story. They take it for granted. I know I did. If, if, if other people hadn't told me, dude, you're these numbers aren't normal. This is something other companies would want. I would just think, oh, I'm doing my job and that's what I'm qualified to do. So surrounding yourself with people who can sort of remind you of that and then also be that network to introduce you to other people. And again, it, there's you can talk to 100 people who won't do anything for you or you can talk to the one, two, three people who can fundamentally change the trajectory of your life. And that's what happened to me. So the three elements you mentioned are like, you have a story to tell, you know, one or two people who are very well connected. And the third one, 
you can do something well. Yeah. So you can actually you can actually do the thing. <laughs> exactly. Which is also something I understand if you're listening to this and you want to become a marketer, you might not have gone through the motions right now. I think the advice here is pretty clear. You can't just become a consultant uh, straight away or, or do something on your own. You need to be good or very good at something, which entails going through the motion, finding a job, like doing it for a while, building trust, getting some good results, right? I think that goes without saying that you can't just go and expect to be seen and credible, which is, by the way, the reason why I say that right now is because I've made this exact mistake. I had a job in marketing in a startup. That was my first job for like two years and a half, three years. I had, hadn't achieved much there. And yet I expected when I left launching my business, my first business that I, that others would actually trust me enough for and recommend me to do something, uh, like conversion rate optimization, which, which just didn't happen. And I struggled for like two years to do this because of this exact reason. So I've made the same mistake, which is why I'm repeating it to others. Like it's what you said is, is the goal because you need the expertise. You need to have delivered some results. You need to turn that into a story that is easy to tell. I mean, like in business, the story of, of a 8x or 15x the growth or whatever is pretty good story. So you need to work your ass off to make it happen. And then having context. And in hindsight, all of those three things I didn't have. So it's pretty clear that once, when, it's, when you don't have those three things, it, it's just very difficult to go on your own. And you can try, but it's just much more difficult than, than in your situation, for example. So yeah. I, th I think the flip side of that really quick, though, is that it's sure. easy to underestimate all of those things. So on the one hand, you don't want to not do something very well, not have a good story to tell, not have anyone to help you tell it, and then expect cash to rain down upon you and opportunities. But on the flip side, I've talked to friends who I think are some of the most talented people in their field at what they do. And they're, they're, they've utterly convinced themselves that they don't, that they're not qualified or that they don't have what it takes or something like that. So I think the, the flip side is also true that really if getting other people's feedback on just, Hey, I worked at this company Here's the co company before and after. Here's what I owned metric before and after. What do you think about that? And if you get positive feedback on that, that's a very good directional signal. Again, I just caution people against taking themselves for granted too much. And then the flip side, like you said, is thinking, oh, I've had a marketing job title for seven minutes. Where are all the clients? One thing that reminds me of a good, I think a good idea for people uh, listening right now to do is... If you feel like what you described, if you feel like you're not good enough, or if you have this imposter syndrome that says, you know, others people are, others are, are much smarter than me and I don't feel qualified to do so, send an email to the 15, 10 people you are the closest to that you've maybe worked with or just friends who haven't, you haven't worked with directly, but know you very well and ask them, according to you, what do you think is my unique ability or the things I'm the best at? And you're going to get some pretty fucking interesting answer. Uh, and that's going to help you to fight this imposter syndrome from within and really realize from an outside perspective that the way you see yourself and the way others feel, uh, see yourself is completely different. So again, I'm not giving you this advice without having done it myself. I've done it myself and it really opened your eyes to the things you have in the back of your head that you're good at, but at least having them in front of you so that you can leverage them, uh, better. So I don't know, Nigel, if you've done it yourself, if you've done something similar, what would you advise in this? 
to fight it, like to, to make sure that you understand your true worth. Yeah, that's, uh, first of all, your idea is really good. I kind of want to steal that. I haven't done that. The sending the email and asking what your special or unique ability is. Um, honestly, with my own experience, I think there's a lot of ways I could have expedited my break from imposter syndrome. But one of them was just putting myself in a situation where I could succeed without any other ways to think that it was bullshit. So in my job, I, I wasn't, I didn't think that I'd successfully given myself imposter syndrome. I thought, Oh, well, this is, this just went well because it would have went well anyway. And I was just doing my job. But when I did it for another company, that's where it was even impossible for my super negative self to construct a negative storyline there. So part of it is just exposing yourself. If you think, if you ask yourself the question of here's what, here's why I can't become a consultant or do my own thing or get better at my job. And you realize there's one big thing is address it head on. So for me, it would have been, I feel like I've never just worked at a company from scratch and by myself led a bunch of organic growth. And that then when I did it once and then twice and then three times, I built up that confidence to know that, oh, I can do it again. So part of it is getting feedback. And the other part of it is just disproving your negative voice by exposing yourself to the real world and getting results. So when you say from zero to X, so you're talking about working with clients who were in a position where they basically had zero or very close to zero SEO traffic and bringing that to to high growth. Yeah. Where they'd had like low growth or even if it's a really a site that naturally gets a bunch of traffic, but if it, it would have to do something terrible to not get traffic and to be a curve that basically is somewhat flat and then shoots up into the right. So for me, that's what it was. It's something where there was a flat trajectory and then I made that a lot more up into the right for lack of a better scientific term. <laughs> so we're not going to talk about SEO, search engine optimization in this podcast, or at least not in the technicality of it. Uh, so therefore, I don't really feel we can really talk more about the expertise per se or that you want to nail. Um, what I want to keep talking about, though, is, is what you mentioned about relationship building and networking and the fact that you've done, you've done more networking in Thailand and traveling around than you, than you did when you were in the, the place to be, air quote. Uh, in the world of tech, right? Uh, Silicon Valley and San Francisco in particular. So you talk about having those one or two connections that really made a big difference. I can share a similar story where like if, if just a handful of people just absolutely just change the trajectory that I was on and, and having those folks really helped me to get contacted, connecting with others, uh, such as yourself, for example, and Nigel. So what do we advise people listening right now who don't necessarily feel they have a network, who feel that they don't necessarily have this one or two person who are actually on top of their game, to get connected with them and to build a strong relationship, where should they start? Gotcha, yeah. So I this is, again, a thing that's speaking from my own experience. The word networking to me, would, like, I'd feel a little bit of bile building up in my throat. I kind of mm -hmm. want to vomit in my mouth a little bit. It just seemed like this thing where you put yourself out there in a fake way to try to only get something. And I would actually tie networking to imposter syndrome because I didn't go out and try to make connections and have conversations with people because I didn't think I had that much to say or had that much to offer. And 
then after I started having a little bit more success, I, I convinced myself that I had something to talk about and then I could be more confident getting introductions. So one thing is don't overlook everyone you already know. And then asking if they know somebody and it's this thing where at first I didn't get it where I thought, Oh, like if you just reach out to someone, you're asking for something. I regularly now just ask for introductions to people that I think are interesting or tell people I know to introduce me to people that they think there might be synergy. And this is going to sound like one of those corny sort of life hacky things. But if you really have no expectations and you just go in and you talk to people and you tell them what you do and what's working, like there's, you're, you're going to have some conversations with people where you're like, okay, that was kind of interesting. Probably never going to talk to them again. That was not that great. And then you're going to talk to people where you just really hit it off and have a human connection. And to go back to your question of how you make it happen, I will cold email people and just say, Hey, I like the thing you're doing. I've been trying to knowledge swap with people. I've done a couple of cool things that hopefully I can share. Some people reply and say, thanks, no thanks. Some people don't reply. And then some of those have turned into amazing relationships that maybe even some business comes from. And sometimes it's just, you get to know that person and then they make an introduction to somebody at this company. And then that person CMO talks to a CEO of another company. That's a very real example that happened to me last week where last time I was in Dublin, I went to see somebody and then they, uh, they turned, they told their CMO about me and then that connection happened. And I really went in with zero expectation about it. I had no desire for that to happen. I just wanted to meet cool people and good things just happen. So don't look beyond your immediate network and don't be afraid to just hit people up and be confident. Part of it is just being confident that you think if you hop on the phone with somebody that you can share something valuable with them and everybody has something valuable to share. Yeah. So there's one thing that you should not do, right? Uh, it's like contacting someone and say, Hey, can I pick your brain for 30 minutes? Please, for the love <laughs> of God, don't fucking do this. This is just so <laughs> annoying, non-specific. It just, it just, it just makes zero sense. So, Instead, how would you talk to someone just in an event or in a normal setting, social setting, in a pub? How would you talk to this person? You wouldn't say, hey, can I pick your brain straight away? Just fucking get to know them, who they are, and help out. You offer something before you ask in return anything without expectation. So one thing that worked well for me when people contact me and that worked for me when I'm contacting people is simply just ask a very specific question about something. Hey, Nigel. I know you know your shit about SEO and SaaS, struggling with this search console issue. You know, I know you're an expert. What do you think of it? That's it. You know, just start this way. And again, as you said, if, if it doesn't answer or if they don't answer, then fuck it. It's fine. Just move on. But if they do, sometimes you have a good feeling about it. Um, no later than two weeks ago, I got an intro from, uh, from someone I know who said you should talk to this guy on the podcast. I had an interview with him for an hour or so. And then an hour after that, we were still talking uh, because we just hit it off. And, you know, and here, this is where the demographics doesn't matter, don't matter, right? I don't really give a shit whether you're a consultant, a marketer, in-house or whatever. What unifies us as people are the psychographics, the things we believe in, right? And this is also works really well for your marketing. Who are you marketing to? What are the things they believe in and don't believe? And when you hit it off on your values and what you believe in, let's say for everyone else marketers, it's pretty clear, then it's just easier to have conversation. So I think another thing that I would advise 
And I know it takes time, but it's to have a point of view about something. You know, what do you stand on? What do you stand for or against? What are the things that you hate in your industry, the things that you love? And therefore, what are the people who believe in the same thing? Because it's much, much easier to have decent conversation with those people. Yeah, I completely agree with all that. And to be clear, uh, I, I would also 100% not recommend open-ended questions like, hey, can I pick your brain? Often, you, that's also a great thing about getting introductions is you don't need to do that. Is if, And this is where the principle of social proof comes in, where if you, Louie, and I, Nigel, know one person and they say, hey, Louie and Nigel, you should get to know each other. There's no need to do a sort of, oh, here's what we're going to get about it. It's we both trust that person and their judgment. So I try to make introductions between people who either I just think they're smart and they'll hit it off or I see some potential for them to work together or just, hey, I like both of you. You should talk when you have time. And I try to put that out there and then be the recipient of it. And then to your point about asking questions, I'll also do the same. If I'm reaching out to somebody in the SEO space, say, hey, one thing I've been thinking about is featured snippets. And here's some thoughts I have on it. And I'm curious if this is something you've been working on. And just by tapping into people get excited about what they work on. And that's also a great way for you to learn from them. So just by asking a specific question about that, to your point, is a great place to start. Another thing I hear quite often from people when I talk about these concepts of actually contacting people if you want to contact someone, like, you know, big people who you look up to that you've been reading books about and whatever are just people, right? And I know it's some simplistic, but it's the truth. They might be busier than you think, but they just manage their time a bit better. But people love to talk about themselves. People love to be seen as a thought leader. People love to be trusted and feel like they are credible. So do send them an email and reach out and ask a specific question. If you're a big fan of their work, it's even easier because you know what they believe, you know what they stand for, you know what they're good at. Just don't be afraid to reach out. I remember a few a few weeks ago, actually, I, I was speaking at an event, at a small event in France. And there was this this guy, uh, this young lad, like coming to me, looking at me like I, I had three heads and I couldn't understand why. And he was just very impressed. And let me just tell you one thing, right? I had nothing impressive on me. I wasn't wearing a fucking <laughs> suit. It's just because I had sp spoken in front of an audience for an hour. He associated me with someone who's a big deal, which is not the case. And I told him, listen, like, you know, you, like, you can talk to me normally. There's no problem there. And he, he wanted to ask if you could interview me on his blog or something like that. I was like, no problem. That's fine. We can do that. And I could see that it was tough for him to do, but I'm pretty sure the second time or the third time he'll do that, it'd be much easier. So the first few times it's, it's difficult to probably a bit difficult to get out there and, and risk to be ignored, which is the worst thing that can happen. But I think it, it, it makes total sense. And I remember the last few years when I started to do this, at first it does feel uncomfortable, but then it gets fucking energizing, accelerating, and it, it just gets a normal habit. Then you don't, you're not scared anymore of contacting people. You just, you just don't give a shit. You just contact people. Yep. And I think there's a very applicable use case to marketers overall in their job, because a part of marketing is either building relationships with other companies brands, people, whatever. And that's, again, it was sort of an imposter syndrome thing that I had to break down where I thought, well, if I email somebody well-known, why would they reply to me? And then through one gig I was working on, I got an introduction to Ashton Kutcher and I ended up interviewing him. And then that, that was an easy way to break down barriers of, it's, it's not like I had to cold email him or something, but 
that was a, I couldn't believe I was on the phone with Ashton Kutcher, but then it made it easier to, Oh, like what would talking to anybody else be like? And then I was able to leverage that to when I would reach out to other people. Like I, I cold emailed uh, David Hanemeyer Hansen, I think mm-hmm. DHH mm-hmm. founder of Basecamp. I just said, Hey, I've interviewed Ashton Kutcher, so-and-so and so-and-so we'll be able to get a bunch of visibility for your new book that you're working on. Cause I looked him up and I saw he was working on that. Like, uh, do you want to hop on a 30 minute call? We can turn it into a piece of content. He said, yeah, let's do it. And a year earlier, I would have never even, it wouldn't have occurred to me that I could do that and get a response. But then when I broke it down to, okay, show why I'm worth talking to or have any credibility to be clear. That's not like, I think I'm super special or amazing. Cause I got one conversation. It's just think about from that other person's perspective, What's one thing you could say to make them keep reading the email or see that you're legit in any way? And then I I looked up something about him and I said, hey, here's basically offered the value. Like you'll be able to promote the thing you're working on. And then I'm associated with this other brand that's starting to get well known. And then from there, I wasn't even that surprised that I got a response. But again, a year earlier, I would have thought that was impossible because I couldn't have put that equation together. Yeah, that's a good example, right? Uh, the same thing for me and, and Seth Godin, for example. If you had told me a few years ago, I would have talked to him. It's the same thing, right? And it, we're not special in any way. We're just, I think it's about keeping things simple as well, like a few lines on an email and focusing on them. No one gives a shit about you, not in a bad way, in a way that they care about themselves. And in a way that, you know, if you want to send an email to someone and get them to react, it's not about you, it's about them. And that's kind of the first rule of marketing as well. When you launch send an email out, a newsletter blast, social media updates, whatever else. No one gives a shit about your brand or you. <laughs> they care about themselves. How do you make it about them? You know? So your copy should, instead of saying I, 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 it should be you, 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 L, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of the basis of marketing. But this is why relationships and like what we discussed in the last few minutes is so important because it's the basis of pretty much everything that it comes to life and marketing and business. So to summarize what you talked about, we said like we need to have, you need to have some expertise somewhere drive, driving some results. You need to have a story to tell that is le- easily rememberable for others. You need to have connections to have at least one or two people you know uh, who can vouch for you. Maybe we can go to the second step again about the story. I know it's fairly simple from your side where like your story was basically, hey, I helped big commerce to multiply by eight the number of organic visitors coming to their site in less than a year or something like that. Um, but from going out of the SEO side of things and talking more in, in general terms, because as you know, listeners could be consultants, in-house marketers, whatnot. What do you advise people to to focus on in their story, in the things they want uh, people to remember? Yeah. So one thing is, if you know what they always say about finding a job, that the where you work is more important than your job or your title or whatever, which is, there's obviously exceptions to that, but there's a lot of truth in it as well. If you're working at a company with an exciting trajectory that's growing, it's easy to underestimate your value, one. And two, just think about how you can tie your own story into the growth of the company. Now, that doesn't mean that you, that everybody who ever worked at Uber should walk around saying, oh, Uber grew riders 1,000x from 2014 to 2016 because of me. But so much of it is in the story you tell. It's not about taking credit over everything, but how can... At the end of the day, people hire people because they want to believe that they can, that you can do for them what you did for somebody else. So just telling that story of 
here's what worked for this other company. Here's what I did. Here's what I learned. Here's how I'm going to help you do it is all it comes down to. And even if you're in a job where it's where at first blush, you think it's hard to quantify your impact. I would look at company metrics. So what are company growth metrics? I mean, you know, you always hear really well-known people saying he drove X increase in MRR or X increase in growth. Like, do you think it was that one guy that did it? Of course not. It's he, they were smart enough to intertwine their own narrative with the growth narrative of a company. So whether it's growth or I guess it, we're all marketers here. So it's probably going to be some type of growth, whether revenue growth, user growth, any type of growth, look at how the company is succeeding and tie your growth into that. And if, and if you're not at a company, if you're at a company that's not moving any metrics, then one, probably you and other people aren't going to have a job for much longer. And two, maybe it means that you should challenge yourself to put yourself in a position where there's more risk, but there's more upside. So you can create that narrative for yourself. So ultimately it's about what change have you made in the position you are in, you know, from, from, as you said, from, from the initial situation to the end, what change did you bring to the table? What did you enable like to, to change? What did you improve? What did you help to grow? Cause it could be many things, right? As you said, in marketing it could be growth. Usually that speaks to a lot of people, right? Revenue growth, MR, as you said, growth, or in SEO, it could be organic growth in paid. It could be number of signups or conversion rate and uh, you know in CRO it could be this anyway that's plenty of shitty acronyms I just shared there anyway as you <laughs> said it's about results so but it's also about the change you made right what 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 impact did you make beyond the results what impact did you make on the team what impact did you make on on um, on many other stuff another advice I would give actually is while you are at the job while you're working there to reflect on the things you've done in the last year two years three years five years Because you people have a tendency to forget, right? Like it, it it's fast paced. You you move fast. You move on fast. You don't even remember what you did last week. So it's a good exercise to reflect back and doing a massive retrospective on what you've achieved, and also maybe a good excuse to reach out to your members, to your colleagues, to your team, and say, hey, just let's just recap what we've all done in the last three years together. That should give you some proper, also resources to use for your own story, right? Yep, and I think another good part of any story is. People, there's sort of, I can say I did these specific things and then demonstrate it in tangibles. And one intangible is if you're flexible and you figure out a way to get shit done, because ultimately that's what people want, or that's what companies want, hiring managers, VPs, whatever. They want people who can get shit done and being able to tell part of your story that here was this obstacle I had to doing my job and I figured it out. Ultimately, when anybody hires you, they want peace of mind references, growth stories, skills. These are all ways to try to assuage their fears and just give them peace of mind. So telling anybody you want to work with about a time when you basically had to figure something out. And there's kind of a corny hiring question, like tell me about a time when along these lines, but I think getting one level deeper and having most good marketers have a story about this. I, I know one that I've told before is, There was some there were some long tail scaled pages we wanted to launch, and we needed to get a designer and a web team manager to do something, and then then to do something else, and somebody else was supposed to go to do copy. There was this whole process, and I figured out how to use the CMS. I found images, and I wrote 
the copy because I'm an English major. And if I couldn't write 350 words on a relatively simple landing page, then I should have my degree stripped from me. So I just did all of it and got them up and it turned out to be successful. And that's something I told other companies, not because I was trying to pull something out of my ass, but to show, Hey, like every company has areas that are slow or dependencies. And I think something a value I add is being able to work within the constraints and be autonomous to get shit done. So that's sort of having one of that be part of your story is pretty crucial. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's a great way to end this, uh, this kind of step-by-step of methodology there. I appreciate you, Nigel, to sharing your story like the way you've done. And I think it, those, those are tips and advice that people can use regardless of their job, regardless of their situation, regardless or not, whether or not they have four kids or married or single or living in Thailand, uh, just like you. So before I let you go, though, I, I have three questions I want to ask you. Uh, first one being, what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next... 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? Analytics. Um, a lot of marketers don't have basic, even knowing how to use Google Analytics skills, something like that. So, And I've worked with a lot of people who are really smart and really good at their jobs. And when it comes to analytics, they kind of play dumb. And they say, oh, well, you know, that's like the analytic person's job. Like, can someone help me pull this report and get this dashboard together? I think everybody should be extremely competent when it comes to analytics, not to just put together their own reports, but to actually interpret data, make hypotheses and pull follow-up reports. That doesn't mean in full transparency, I don't know SQL or anything like that. I couldn't build a full database report, but you give me a Google Analytics account and I could give you a bunch of insights into that. And again, I have a writing background and got into SEO and that's something I sort of had to figure out And that's, again, an imposter syndrome then that taught me, oh, like anybody who's smart and curious can figure out analytics by Googling around and learning stuff. Great one. So maybe on the back of that, what are the top three resources you'd recommend listeners? So it could be anything from like a podcast, a conference, a book. I think Brian Balfour has some good resources to just help learn about different channels. So even if you say, oh, this is my specialty, he's a big proponent of the T-shaped marketer, get really deep in a couple things and then learn other ones. I know getting even base level competency in other channels has helped me. So that's one thing. Another one is, uh, what is the Cialdini book? Uh, Persuasion. Yeah. That's everybody probably says that, but it's totally true. Just everything comes back down to those few principles. Um, and another one is, I'm going to totally pull one out of thin air, but Shoe Dog, uh, Phil Knight's autobiography, the Nike guy. Because that's another one where it shows you that this big behemoth of a company, just so many things happen by chance. And there's a bunch of other books that could play that role, but I'll go with that one because it's one I've recommended to many friends and sort of reminded me, oh, I can build something even though I don't have an MBA or a business plan or any of that stuff. Yeah, I actually uh, haven't read the book. I've never heard of it, which is surprising uh, in a sense. So I'm going to fucking buy it. Thanks for the recommendation, man. I got you. Yeah, <laughs> I know you do. Uh, last question for you. Where can people connect with you and cold email you to and pick your brain? Uh, so I don't, I don't <laughs> have a Twitter because I'm a self-destructive marketer, apparently. I mean, I guess... Nigel Stevens on LinkedIn, uh, marketingog.com. You can shoot something on the 
contact form there. And yeah, I have, I always like, as I've said, like connecting with people. So feel free to reach out. Right. Once again, Nigel, you've been fab. Thanks so much for sharing your story and for being so practical with people. I think a lot of, a lot of folks got a lot of value from it and probably already sent a resignation letter to their boss <laughs> after listening to your shit. So once again, Nigel, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having me and love the podcast. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always uns- unsubscribe for sure if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet. And we always... Uh, can improve. So you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com. Good or bad, please feel free to send me an email. And the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode, please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.